0: In Hebrews chapter two, verse number one, notice what the Bible says. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That we should let them slip. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask again, Lord, that You would help me. I pray that You'd keep my mind focused. I pray, dear God, that I would only say those things that You would want me to say today, and Lord, truly, I want to be used only in the capacity to help someone. And maybe there's someone here that's struggling, not maybe with the school side of things, but they're struggling as a Christian, and they're just having difficulty, and they're not in a good place, and they realize that. I pray today's message would help them, encourage them to get past the place that they're at now and be able to move on into productive, abundant Christian living. Lord we love you. Meet with us, I pray for these few minutes in Jesus name. Amen. Back in the day, I was uh, back in the day, I was, a, I was a helicopter pilot in the army and uh, I'd traveled all over the place uh, for the army and lived in many different locations. I'd lived in Korea twice, Germany once, and uh, flew a lot of missions and, and uh, a lot of different approaches through the years And... Uh, One thing that you have to understand is there's different types of flying. There's what is called VFR flying, which is simply visual flight rules. And maybe you've got some uh, aviation experience behind you, and you might understand a little bit of these terms I give you. But visual flight rules just simply means that you can see the horizon, you can see the ground at all times and uh, you're not in the clouds and then uh, the other type of flying is instrument flying which they call IFR or instrument flight rules and in essence you take off from a location and then you punch up into the clouds and you can you can be VFR on top of the clouds where you can see but sometimes you just you're flying in the clouds and it literally is like flying in a inside of a light bulb and you can't see hardly you can't see anything it's just a big white cloud that you're flying in and you can't see anywhere that you're going and so it's great, you know, you take off, you punch off uh, the airport, and you go up, you go into the clouds, and I've flown hundreds of miles where you never see anything just but like a white cloud. And then you have to land, and it, it, you got to know where you're going, obviously. So it's very important that you follow your instrumentation that you have, and you have a bunch of different instruments that uh, are given to you that you learn to cross-reference and, and uh, kind of just work through. You're constantly scanning just to make sure that you're on the right airway and you're traveling in the direction you want to go at the right altitude because there's people buzzing over you and below you going the same direction or going, going the opposite direction so you get to your location and then you have, to, you have to shoot an approach and so when you're doing an instrument approach there's many different types of approaches that you can you can shoot you can shoot like a NDB approach now that's army flying is an NDB your Air Force people probably don't even know uh, what an NDB is which is just what we call a non-directional radio beacon and uh, you should shoot an NDB approach, which would just give you azimuth. You could shoot a VOR approach. You can shoot a PAR approach. And I was an air traffic controller, and that's what I did. We, we were called scope dopes when we were down looking at the radar and bringing people in for a landing. And it was a precision approach radar, and it gave you a glide path or your elevation, and, and we gave direction. And so basically, we just kind of guided the aircraft down to the ground. There were ILS approaches, GPS approaches, and, and those were the best. And uh, then they went to microwave approaches. I don't even know what they use anymore, but it's always advancing. And when you're flying a helicopter, it's not like in the Air Force you push a button and you land the aircraft. It's not like that. You actually got to work. Amen? Uh, but anyway, uh, so you, you have to shoot this approach. And if you could just picture this, just a, a beam that, that shoots off the end of the runway and it gives you your elevation, your glide path. Obviously you don't want to go too low. You can't see anything. You don't want to get above that glide path because you come to a place where you reach what is called decision height. At decision height you're supposed to punch out of the cloud. You're normally about 200 feet. Some places are lower. Some aircraft were lower, but we could go down to about 200 feet. Different location, different uh, decision height levels, and when you got down there you had to make a decision whether you were going to do a go around or you were going to come in and you were going to land the aircraft. When you're flying that aircraft in, you're you're concentrating very much on your instrumentation because your instrumentation is the guide that's bringing you down. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to drift off course so that when you come out of the clouds, you're way over here. Now, for a helicopter, it was a little bit easier. We'd just, you know, fly over here and land land the aircraft, but an airplane, it's not, it's not like that. So it's very important that you're following your instrumentation, that you're not drifting off course. You don't want to drift off course. Now, normally, when you have that type of a weather pattern, you're flying in the clouds, you've got You've got a lot going on. In other words, you probably have a crosswind. They're trying to get you, uh, you know, upwind, you know, flying into the, to the wind when you're, when you're landing. That's why you have different runways and different headings and different things like that because it goes along with the predominant winds that you would land into. They want you landing into the wind. But often you'll have crosswinds. And so you'll have to take the aircraft and you'll have to turn the aircraft or pigeon toe that aircraft a little bit so that you can maintain that heading as you come in because you don't want to drift off course. Now notice with me again in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1, and this kind of gives you an idea here, I believe what the author is trying to convey to us. He says, therefore, we ought to give more earnest Heed to the things which we have heard. In other words, we need to pay attention to the direction that we're going. We need to pay attention to those things that we've learned in our past and what we're learning right now, because if we don't pay attention to them, we'll see what happens, lest at any time we should let them slip. Or that we would drift away from the intent that God had for us in our life. And we would drift out of the course or the direction that God would want for us to have a proper landing. And so we would drift away from where we're supposed to be. You and I should never forfeit the idea that we, with God's help and His Spirit's direction, that we would never forfeit the course that God has laid out for our lives. God's got a direction for you, and uh, we need to follow that spiritual direction and get to the place that God wants us to be. You know, there's a lot of churches out there right now that are filled with God's people, and many of the churches have gone off course. They've drifted away from what they were once before, and it's not because the church all of a sudden just decided, you know, this is what we're going to become. No, 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 no. It's a process of God's people, the Christian people that sit inside of the church, that allows that church to drift in a different direction over time, and the reason why is they've let the course slip. They're not concerned about the direction, They're not, and, and, and they become different than what they were once before. I've met too many people in, in, in the work of the Lord that have drifted over the years, that they, were not, they are not now what they were once before. For some, I've seen them drift right out of church. They're not even in church anymore. Some have drifted to what I call foo-foo churches. They go to foo-foo churches, and they, they have no doctrine, they've got no Bible, they've got really no direction, folks aren't being saved. I scratch my head and I wonder, how in the world could they go from our church to a church like that? I don't get it. And really, all it is, they've just let some things slip that they've heard. They don't hold true to the course that God had for them, and they've drifted away. So I want to give you some things here this morning about drifting, about drifting. And I, being a, a pilot in the Army, I've got some illustrations, I think. I hope to be able to help you maintain your attention, because I know you're thinking about your exam that you have to go take right after this, and so let me just take a few minutes of time and just, if you just give me your attention, uh, we'll be done real soon. Number one, I want to say this, we drift when we lack depth. We drift when we lack depth. Look with me in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter number 13, and find verse number five please in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13 and verse number five. All right, Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 5. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Brother Rasmussen made reference of this. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now, the Lord defines this parable here for us uh, about the kingdom of heaven. And notice with me in verse number 20. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon, or right away, at once, with joy he receiveth it. Yet hath he no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by... He is offended. Now, these are saved people. These are people that received the, the Lord at once. I mean, they were excited about the things of God. And boy, they were excited about their salvation. They were excited about the things that they had uh, received, but they never, they never grew. They never put down any roots. And so when tribulation or persecution comes in their life, guess what? Uh, uh, sure enough, it doesn't take much to push them off. Of course. And they begin to drift away. And the reason why is they've never established a pattern to grow some roots. They've got no depth. They, 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 they got saved. Uh, they were excited about salvation. They understood what it meant to go to heaven when they die. And that's as far as their Christian life ever went. They were just happy about knowing heaven was their home. And, and uh, uh, that, that's as far as growth was. And I, I think The church today, many of churches today, the the problem that we're having inside of the church is there's an unwillingness of people to put the work in, if you will, to get some depth, to memorize some scripture, to have those seasons every single day where we spend time in the Word of God, we spend time uh, praying, we are active in ministry and soul winning and outreach because those are all vital to growing some roots because, let's face it, uh, at some time in our life, we're going we're gonna to have some wind that's going to come alongside of us that's going to try to get us to drift. And it, we're going we're gonna to face some trouble. We're going to face some persecution. We're going to face some uh, tribulation. And, and, and you're going to have to decide. If you have no depth, it'll push you right out into a foo-foo church. You'll be, uh, you'll be out, and, and everybody will wonder, where did so-and-so go? Why isn't so-and-so in church anymore? because you've lacked depth and you've drifted from what you have heard and what you know to be right, but you never put down any roots where you could grow on it or you could make anything happen in your Christian life. A a diver for exotic fish for aquariums said one of the most popular aquarium fish is the shark. He explained that if you catch a small shark and confine it, it will stay a size proportionate to the aquarium. Sharks can be six inches long, yet fully matured. But if you turn them loose in the ocean, they grow to their normal length of eight feet. You want to know what we have in our church? We've just got cute, little, itty-bitty, little baby sharks. And they're content to be cute, little, itty-bitty baby sharks. And what they don't realize is they've got so much potential. They've got so much room for growth. If you're not rooted and you're not deep in your spiritual life, you're going to drift and it's going to stunt your growth and you might not be 6 inches, you might make it to 8 inches. But that's not going to help you when the wind blows. That's not going to help you when the tribulation comes. That's not going to help you when you face some trouble. And before you know it, you'll be swept way off course. You will have drifted to a place that you're you're not in church anymore. You have to have depth. You need to work on that depth. And you need to work on that depth even now when you're in Bible college. Uh, You're getting things that will help you. Don't just go through it, memorize it, and then flush it down the drain and forget it. Get it where it goes down into your heart. So you can be able to stand and maintain the course that God has for you one day. Number two, we drift when we turn to old habits. Look in Galatians chapter number four. And I don't mean to meddle here, but I want to be a help. Galatians chapter four and verse number eight. Galatians four, verse eight. We drift when we turn to or return to old habits. Verse number 8. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, in other words, they know God and God knows them. These are saved people here. How turn ye again... To the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Why, why do you want to, after you've been known of God and you know God? Why do you want to return to those things that were at one time bondage to you? And he's talking about the Israelites, the Jews here, and returning verse number 10, ye observe days and months and times and years. Verse, verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul's saying, listen, boy, I hope I didn't waste my time. I, I hope I didn't, I didn't work too much, put too much effort into you if you want to return back to those things that were bondage to you. Now, how is it that a person will want to go back to those things that he once had victory over in his life. You've drifted. You're drifting. You're wanting and desiring to go back to those old attitudes you used to have, those old actions that you used to participate in, those old places that you said you'd never go again, those old folks that you said you'd never hang around with anymore. You've gone back to them. And here's what's happened. You've drifted. You've drifted. And you're not going to end up at the end of the course where you think you're going to end up because you're going to end up at the end of the course of where you drifted to. And that's not where you want to be. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord and and we need to maintain momentum because that momentum will keep you through those times where you desire to go back to that old life. I was stationed at fort bragg north carolina and i was uh, the unit that i was in was uh uh, it was in i was in the 82nd airborne and uh, flying blackhawks for them and they were sending me back to fort rucker where you uh i was going to go through the maintenance test pilot course and so i would go back and i would be a what they call a maintenance test pilot basically you fix the aircraft and then you release it to the flight line, and you know, I still flew missions, but they go out and fly missions, so we, we would have to do that. I had to go get some training for that, went to Fort Rucker. Uh, my best friend there, uh, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson was responsible for me getting saved. How many of you ever heard of Barry Hoffman, missionary to Korea? Barry Hoffman and I, and Ben, we were all pilots. Ben, Barry never made it through flight school. He got saved in flight school and then quit. Of course, they got upset with him, they sent him to Korea where he met his wife and got married, now he's a missionary in Korea, but Ben was uh, uh, responsible for all of us having that bug to go fly. Anyway, Ben was an I.P. at Fort Rucker at the time, and I.P. is an instructor pilot, and he asked me if I would fly, fly the airplane for him, and we were gonna fly down to Eglin Air Force Base, and he, was, he had a, a, a mission that he was uh, conducting, and he was cheating is what he was doing. He was flying the mission beforehand in the daylight, and then uh, he was kind of getting all of his checkpoints, times right, and everything, so he had all these other aircraft that were going to follow him. Pilots are very proud people. Most of them are type A, so you, he wanted to be successful. So he asked me, he said, Tom, he said, would you uh, fly the aircraft? I'll do all the navigating and all you have to do is just, just fly the air aircraft. I said, sure, that's fine, I can do that. I don't know how to fly an airplane. So anyway, uh, we get in it and we, what it was was down, uh, if you're probably not too familiar with this, but anybody who's been in the military would be somewhat familiar with the uh, Eglin Air Force Base. There's restricted airspace and then there's what's called prohibited airspace. In other words, you have to, you, you cannot go in these areas because they are totally off limits and if you do, you are, you are in trouble, okay? You're in big trouble. Anyway, we took off, and I was a Blackhawk guy, and so our mission gross weight that we took off, we flew probably around 18,000 pounds. We were heavy when we flew, and uh, we, we'd take off flying. And it was nothing, never got bounced around. i get in this little Cessna. I mean, we're just like this in there. You know, he's right next to me, and we're flying along. And it, it, it takes off about 2,000 pounds, and we're getting bumped around everywhere. I mean, bumped around. I'm, I'm up, down like this, I'm trying to fly this thing. I, I didn't eat anything that morning. I drank some coffee. I started to get airsick. I said, Ben, I'm, I'm not feeling very well. He says, you'll be fine, let's just keep going. We had crossed the Alabama-Florida border and I, I started getting sick. I mean, I didn't want it to go all over the aircraft. So we always have these book bags. I dumped all my books out of the book bag and I'm just, I'm just having a time. I mean, I am sick. I am sick. I filled up my book bag. I asked for his. I didn't even realize you could be that sick, and that was that much in your stomach. It was just, it was terrible. I didn't want it to go all over the aircraft. So now we're, we're in this prohibited area. We're just flying these corridors through Eglin Air Force Base and around that area. And uh, that, a lot of stuff goes on down there with the military. I was so sick, I said to Ben, I said, listen, you need to land right now. I am so sick, Ben. Yeah, I can't go anymore. You, we need to land right now. I wasn't flying at that point. I said, "You need to land." He said, "Tom, you, we'll go to jail." I said, "I don't care where we go because I knew as soon as I put my feet on the ground, I was going to be okay." I said, "I don't care where. I don't care if I go to jail for the afternoon. I don't care. You're going to land this here. Find an airport. We could go land at that one right over there." He says, "Tom, you know we can't go over there and land." We get back, literally, I was like this. If you've ever understood air sickness, I was like this. We landed, I put my feet on the ground, and I said, man, I'm hungry, let's go eat. (laughs) But here's the thing about flying. It wasn't like a helicopter. You can't back up, you can't slow down. you got to maintain momentum. If you don't maintain momentum, you don't have to lift underneath the wings to keep you up in the air. And one thing that I have found with people that drift and go back to their old habits and their own lifestyle is they failed to maintain momentum. They've lost momentum. And you know what? You can lose momentum at Bible College. You can go through all the motions, you can pump all the knowledge into the brain, but again, if you don't have that good, steady walk with God, and you're not desiring the godly part of the Christian life, I'm talking about the relationship with your Heavenly Father, and you don't praise, and you don't have worship, and you don't have seasons alone with God, hey, you're going to lose momentum, and before you know it, you'll be back doing what you said you'd never do. You'll be back going to the places you said you'd never go. And you say, oh, it won't happen to me. Oh, yes, it can. It can happen to you. And you need to be alert to the reality. You've got to maintain momentum. Because if you don't, listen, you're going you're to drift. And you're going to find out you're drifting. And you're going back to the same attitudes, the same thoughts that you used to have. And you've drifted. You've drifted. Number three. We drift when there's division among us. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So what happens is there was some division here. The division was so great that Paul says, I withstood Peter to the face. In other words, I went up face to face. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have emails. They didn't have a way to communicate. But I know this, when Paul had in his mind, the next time I see Peter, I got something to say to him because he's causing other people to stumble. Remember, this was Peter that preached Pentecost. Remember, this was Peter that uh, went to Cornelius and his family, Gentiles. Can you imagine the confusion that Peter not eating with Gentiles was causing for people? Can you imagine uh, those that uh, were stumbling and or drifting because Peter was causing some division? And Paul said, listen, I need to stop this thing right away. But could you imagine how Paul felt about Barnabas? I mean, they were they were buds. they traveled together. Paul saw, listen, Peter is causing division and the division is causing people to drift out of church and away from church. That ought not to be the case. I need to... Uh, go on. But let me just leave you with this one. And I, I was never a good shot with uh, my, the weapon that they gave me. But I do remember just a few things about going to uh, the ranges and different things like that. And I, I remember one of the last commands that they would always give to you. They would, they would show you the little silhouette ta- targets would pop up at all different ranges. And one of the last commands that they would give you was, stay in your lane. They didn't want you shooting the other guy's targets. They just wanted you to stay in your lane. You know, it'd be a good thing, uh, even at Bible college, you know, there's there's folks always that uh, get get hair-lipped about something here or there, and they want to stir up a little bit of trouble. Stay away from those people because those are the kind of people that'll get you to doubt even the will of God for you to be here. And they'll get you to doubt whether or not you need to finish the course that God has for you here at West Coast Baptist College. And they'll cause division, and division follows them, and what you'll find is you'll also find a lot of damaged people that didn't follow through on what God had for them in their life because they allowed division into their life. Number four, number four, we drift when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Unconfessed sin in our lives. The lack of fear of sin. The lack of repentance over sin. Just an unwillingness to get right with the Lord. A lack of victory over sin. Now let me give you the results of of drifting, the results of drifting. Simply put, the mission is hindered. We were on a, I know I'm running a minute late, just give me a minute. We were on on a, a six gun raid, I was flight lead. And what it it was is we would go pick up the artillery pieces, fly behind enemy lines, drop them off, they would do the shooting they need to do to take out the command and control. We would come back in, pick them up, and bring them back. We had planned everything. Everything was coordinated. Everything was great. Of course, everything done was at night under NVGs, night vision goggles. And so uh, we took off, and they had little IR buds that they would put on the, the guns, and so we came over the tree, tree line, and boy, the radios just lit up because we immediately recognized that they had put the guns to get too, too close together. So we had to come in. We, we sat down next to the, uh, to the guns, got some of the guys on board, uh, all the, the crew on board except for two of them, they were, there was two guys that would sit on top of the gun. One had a static probe because you're creating a lot of static electricity with that. And literally, when they would put the sling up on it, uh, it had a little metal ring on the inside of it, it would, it would blow you off. I mean, there was so much static electricity built up on that aircraft when you would hit it. So they would have a guy up there with a static probe. He would be knocking that static off so when they put the, 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 the sling on it, we could pick the gun up and, and off we would go. In that process, really what happened, there was, a, there was a, a hole that the crew chief would look down and he was talking to the pilot up front and he would get, was giving direction. And one of the commands that he would give would he say, come left you know, six feet, come left uh, three feet and we're all in this, this little hole The PZ was big enough, the pickup zone was big enough, but they had put the guns too close and the tip cap speed of a Black Hawk is over 300 miles an hour, so you're creating a lot of wind and we're just, you know, just blowing everybody all over the place. It was awful. I remember it, it was awful. You got a little radar altimeter, you're looking out your chin bubble here because you don't want to come down and squish the guys, you know, that are on that that gun and you don't want to ruin the aircraft because then you're really in trouble. But we were slipping and sliding all over the place. And the crew chief would say "This, this here, and this is what you didn't want to hear. Sir, you're drifting. You're drifting. It took us forever to pick up them guns. The mission was hindered because we were drifting. We were drifting. God has a plan for each and every one of you. And I know that you probably don't see it, you don't think it, you don't even believe it, but I can assure you, God has a plan for you. Don't let drifting get in the place where you don't fulfill God's plan for your life. Stay the course. Get what you need in college. And then understand, we're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Understand that drifting is a part of the Christian life, but you need to do whatever you need to do to maintain the course. Maintain the course.